Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for that love. We thank you for that reality that is your sustenance and your presence. And just while sometimes it's a little frustrating, you won't just save us and allow us to not feel pain. Um, we just pray for the wisdom that comes from experience and the opportunities that arise from failing sometimes and suffering sometimes and things that enable us to minister to others in that same situation um, because we have that experience. As James was talking, I just had this picture of a sort of a field, um, you know, a farm field and just the fact that oftentimes crops only grow so long and then all the nutrients are gone and so the field has to sit barren, it has to be burnt sometimes um, so that crops can grow back more strong and continue in that cycle. And so, Lord, I just pray for anybody in that circumstance that's even doubting that love um, that James talks about. Help us to see the cycles. Help us to see your presence. And give us just a moment or a vision or a picture or a word or something that just goes beyond the state that we're currently in. That shows us that promise and that love and that, that next season, if, if that's really um, what we're going through right now. Amen. Well, I, it's funny, James mentioned talking about change, and I like to think of myself as a very innovative person and a person who always is pushing, hey, we should do this, we should update this, we should do this, this cool new thing. And as I was reading these scriptures and sort of reflecting on it, I realized at my core, I do not like change whatsoever. I like to tell other people to change, but when it comes to me making big, you know, momentous life decisions and changes, it's like something totally different. And so had to confess that and, and come to grips with that this week. Um, but I realized as I went through scripture and as I thought about sort of this, this subject matter, there are just so many texts, um, references, so many stories, so many people in in, in the Bible that, that can handle change really, really well, or can handle change really, really not well. And just a couple things that, that pop out that I think for me has been helpful um, during this season, and, and I hope that um, one or more would be something that might, might resonate with, with you. Uh, one of the, the interesting things I was reading about, you know, just this whole pandemic and the impacts, and there was this sort of psychological study done and it, you know, it sort of said, you know, what people were sort of dealing with, um, you know, during this time, even as like, you know, we think we're out of it and then we're not, and then we think we're out of it and then we're not, and it keeps going longer and longer. And, um, you know, there were things like um, loneliness and, and anxiety and depression and, you know, just trying to, to cope with a, with a new normal. Um, but then at the end, they mentioned this thing about um, a higher percentage of large life changes that happened during this time. And, you know, I sort of started reading a little bit, and I'm a, I'm a sucker for psychology and philosophy sometimes, and, you know, that at least the, the, what the author said, and I think this, was, this is on the CDC website or it was linked there or something like that, but, you know, what the author sort of alluded to was we have so much more time to be present with ourselves that we can be, you know, both introspective, which is, you know, sort of thinking you know, why do I do this, this and that, and thinking about, you know, our motives and stuff, and, and, and deconstructive with, you know, our current life situation. And 
deconstructive is just a fancy word to say taking apart into pieces the, the sort of system of our lives and asking, is this piece really worth it? Is this piece really worth it? Have I just been sort of assuming, you know, all of these things are still relevant and still necessary, um, you know, for my life just because I've been so busy and it works, so, you know, if it's broke, if it's not broke, you know, why would I even think about fixing it? Um, and it's not only people, it's, it's organizations. I think as a church, you know, a lot of things we've been in conversation with is what does sort of post-pandemic or end of post-pandemic mean, you know, for a faith community? What are things that might not be effective in ministry that they were going into the pandemic? And what are things that, you know, we might need to add or, or adopt or even just try knowing that, you know, there's grace, we can mess up, it's all good uh, moving forward. Again, like I said, it's easy for me to say, hey, we should do this and this and this, but then it comes to, you know, my personal life and, you know, I can get a little freaked out about change. And just a little background, if, if you haven't seen in the pandemic, uh, at least for us, we've, you know, started working from home, we've, I've started doing different, you know, business stuff, uh, we had a baby in the middle of the pandemic, which is an insane amount of life change. And, and then, as James mentioned last week, um, we've really discerned a move as, as well. And I'm not going to say the pandemic caused all of those things, but it, it really gave us the ability to pause and to focus, because we've been praying about direction for years and, you know, years and years and years, and just haven't really felt that sort of God stamp of, yes, this is what you should be doing, and, and so this sort of allotted for it. So I hope from... From my experience and, and the scriptures and, and things I'm going to share, um, there might be something beneficial and encouraging because the thing about change is we are all constantly going through it and we're all constantly grappling with it. And sometimes, almost like social media, it's easy to look and say, oh my gosh, this person has it all together. Wow, they handled that move perfectly. Their house looks stellar, you know, the first day. And, and in reality, you know, sort of beyond that is also the feelings of, anxiety and stress and, and wanting things to, to work out and fear of maybe they won't. And, you know, so as our series sort of had been going, looking at people in the Bible and seeing their experience um, with, you know, whatever we're preaching on and, and gleaning what we can from that. And so I've sort of put together, you know, in classic sermon fashion, you know, four points to sort of build off of. And I am a bit of a rambler, maybe not as much of a rambler as uh, James Henry, but still will ramble nonetheless, so I, you know, I apologize. Um, but the first thing I want to look at is this point, and it's a pretty simple point that I started to begin with. Change is usually not easy. Um, there's, there's sometimes sort of a, a thought that, oh, this will be a breeze, it's going to be for the better, and this and that, and in reality, there's a lot of details that go into change. And the first scripture I'm going to be reading from, it's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And this is arguably probably one of the most influential or impactful or read stories about change. And, you know, a lot of what we experience about Scripture and, and a lot of different um, prophets and, and people in, in the New Testament really allude back to uh, this guy Abram, and a.k.a. Abraham. And we're not going to go too deep into his story, but I'm just going to read it because this is um, something that Abram heard from God, and it was a really a change sort of moment. And the scripture says, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And when I bless those who bless you and the one that cur- who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And I think it's sometimes easy to sort of glaze over that, but as someone thinking about a move and thinking about sort of a relocation, if, even if God said, hey, you're going to make your name great, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to do all this stuff, there's still these like really logistical things and um, difficult things that go into it. And one of the things it mentions in the text is, you know, he's leaving his country. He's leaving, you know, things that are familiar, things that um, he, grew, he grew up with a sense of security, a sense of familiarity, um, relatives, you know, leaving family. And, you know, what it, what it seems to allude to reading into the text is that family unit and that, that tribe rarely separated. You know, if you're from a family that all lives in one city, a lot of my family is from Philadelphia, and we have this little hive. But as someone who left that and we moved to Florida and then, and then here, it's, it's a big change. You know, you don't have those things that you, um, you know, sort of found comfort in. All that to say, obviously, the change was worth it. But there was this sort of reality that, you know, it's not easy. And for each one of us thinking about this understanding of, you know, life changes, even if it's not moving to another country, um, maybe it's moving to another job, maybe it's um, making a, a call for your family, maybe it's doing something like that. Uh, there's a lot of depth to it, and, and sort of the encouragement from that story is that while all of those challenges arise, and they mention that first, it starts off with, you're going to leave all of this stuff, but you're going to be blessed in, in these ways. And there's that promise that in you know, a change that especially God is leading and initiating, um, it's really easy to get caught up in those details but oftentimes, like, like Abram, there is this sort of plan and direction, at least for me, that I don't always understand. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you had it all the time. And the next story is sort of on the opposite side of that. And I'm just going to read from that. It's uh, this parable that Jesus told. Uh, I feel like this guy gets so much, so much, uh, so much bad publicity in Scripture, but we're going to read it anyway. Uh, and it says... It's about the rich young ruler, and it's Matthew 19, 16 through 22. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may attain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So basically, follow the rules. Then he said to him, Well, which ones? And Jesus said, You should not commit murder. You should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, all the, the, the hits, you know, all the ones that um, were really big, you know, from Moses in, in Jewish culture. And then uh, the man said to him, all these things I have kept. So he pretty much followed all the rules. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So Jesus basically said, what you really need to do then 
is give away all of, and his identity, he's called the rich young ruler of the text, which is kind of funny, but uh, at least is the title, you know, give away all the stuff and follow me, which I don't know if anyone's kind of get, dug deep into the experience of following Jesus and, and the, the, where his disciples sort of went through and all that stuff, but that was not an easy, easy road to go. Anyway, but the rich young man heard this statement and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And so in that instance, you know, we see a, a, a story where somebody just couldn't give up. Arguably, you know, at least what I would say is probably what gave them their identity. You know, what gave them meaning, what gave them power. And this is one thing that I think we will come across when we're considering change, big, small, whatever. Oftentimes there is a, a giving up or a sacrificing, or sort of giving to God um, something which holds value and might even totally represent who we are. I don't want to get too much into the nuance of it, but, you know, this guy, Abram, who turns into Abraham, you know, was put in a position where God asked him to give up what was most important to him, which was his son. And, you know, in that act of faith, you know, whatever you think about the text, it's kind of weird, I know. Um, Abraham was willing to do it and, and God stopped him and, you know, gave him a different sacrifice. But there's going to be these situations where we're asked to give up something big and something, again, that, that sort of makes our, our identity and, and who we think we are. And this isn't uncommon in change. This isn't uncommon in making decisions. And the challenge sometimes and often for us is to not see that as a red flag and dismiss it. Um, because what I'm sure this sort of rich young man could have experienced following Jesus, you know, would have been incredible. You know, seeing miracles, being a part of this stuff, doing, doing all that stuff. Um, now, I will say, and this is something that I sort of was grappling when reading the story, failure to follow God and failure to make those decisions and failure to move on that change if we've, I mean, I've definitely, there are changes I didn't make that I should have and, you know, I sort of feel bad about it, you know, when I realize what sort of could have been. But that doesn't mean God leaves us. You know, this guy who couldn't, couldn't do it didn't mean God just said, all right, you're done. And uh, I sort of, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Hamilton, but there's this big song called, you know, I'm not gonna give away my shot. You know I mean? I have this one chance. Um, to do it, and that's not the way God, God works. And that's something that, it's such a temptation to think, if I don't do this, then I can't do anything. If I mess this up, then I'm, you know, I'm never going to be called again, and, and, and that's not the case. So if you've experienced that sort of, I just couldn't give it up, it doesn't mean that's the end. Um, because, you know, and just to throw some scriptures out, um, scripture says that you know, God will never leave you or forsake you, uh, one thing we quote a lot, especially in music, is God uses all things um, for your good and his glory. And I think we've got the real scripture somewhere. Next one. And we know that all, yeah, that for those who, God, who love God, all things work together for good and for those according to his purpose. The scripture I quote is a paraphrase from a song um, that we sing a lot. And I always think it's important to mention that because in the world we're, we're living, it seems like there's finality with failure. 
and, and that's not what Scripture says, um, and that even in failure, God can take that and, and turn it into something great. And the next point I want to go to is the second one, and change rarely should be reactionary, i.e., because of the current situation, um, but instead initiated by what you are moving toward. And that's probably really complicated to say. It's not the grass is greener, you know, sort of philosophy. Um, in, in, in Scripture, when change happens, it's not so much because things are so terrible in this moment. It's because God is leading into something different or, or something greater. And, you know, one of the... One of sort of the stories that sort of struck me, and I'm not going to read the text because it's super long, but it's the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a prophet um, who was exiled into Babylon. And so at some point, basically, if you're not familiar with that, uh, the, you know, the people who came from Abraham got this land, the promised land, and then the nation of Babylon came, conquered them, and took some of the people with them to Babylon. And one of those, one of those people were you know, turned out to be Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had a pretty good position in Babylon, but as most of the text seemed to allude to with people in Babylon, there was still a, a struggle. It was still difficult. You're still a captive, in a sense, and you're not in the, the homeland or the promised land that, that God is leading you to anyway. And in the story of Nehemiah, God calls out to Nehemiah through a sort of a feeling, in a sense. Uh, Nehemiah is, is struggling with sort of the current situation in the promised land because the walls of, of the city are deteriorated. It's kind of funny because each of the prophets around this time had sort of a theme. Someone did the temple, someone did something else, and, and Nehemiah did the walls. And, but what he was feeling wasn't, man, Babylon's terrible. Man, everything's, I just got to get out of here. Anything else is going to be better than this. It was, oh my gosh, my heart is breaking for the promised land and, the, and the, the lack of walls and what's happening to those people. And so he prays to God, you know, and God really empowers him to go to the king and make this request to go fix the walls. And then in that sort of cool exchange, you know, we see examples of these like momentary prayers in the midst of conversation that we're not going to talk about, but you should definitely check it out if you're unsure about prayer because there's some really good examples there. But basically, Nehemiah sees something that God's calling him to, not something that God is calling him away from. And sort of in this season, I think it's really easy to have these struggles that think, all right, God, I know you don't want me in this, so whatever I can take, whatever job I can take, whatever you know, direction I can go, I'm just going to go and get out of here. And sometimes we're really meant to be in that moment in order to then see or experience, like in Nehemiah's case, that pull towards that next thing. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a little bit of a um, sort of a term thing, but if we're in a struggle and if we're in a difficult situation, um, it's easy to just out of frustration bail versus allowing that leading from God or allowing that leading of our hearts, which God is influential in, um, to move us to the next thing. Next point, which is one very accurate for me, you can't discern too much. And I will argue this theologically till the end. So, you know, sometimes it's like, ah, you can discern too much. I don't think you can. 
I think as someone who wants to be sure and who wants to know that God is behind something, God has a heart for that. God has a heart for, for discerning um, and for people who understand that sometimes God, God's voice sounds a lot like my voice. And sometimes I don't want to take this big step if it's of my own will. And I'm just going to read this story. That I'm skipping one. Joy. Uh, and basically the story of Gideon. We talked about judges a little bit last week. Um, but Gideon did this thing, which I would say theologically people are a bit split on if this is legit or not. I feel like, I don't know, at least from my discussion. So I'm just going to read the text. And, you know, you can weigh in if you want. Then Gideon said to God, and basically preceding this, God called out to Gideon and, and called him to rise up and, and basically defend Israel. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Basically, like, you know, fluffy lamb coat kind of thing. If there is dew on the threshing floor alone, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. Basically, if the floor is wet, this, you know, sort of wool, uh, sheep, sort of fluffy, like my sweater almost, uh, is totally dry, but everything else is wet, I know you're legit, and it's you. And it was so. So that happened. He got that confirmation. And when he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, and he wrung out dew from the fleece to fill the bowl of water. Then, God, then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me, but let me just clarify one more time. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry fleece, dry on the fleece alone, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry fleece alone, and on the ground there was dew. And so Gideon has this weird system of, God, if it's really you, uh, you know, give me a sign kind of thing. And I think sometimes we are almost feeling like we can't do that because we feel like we're testing God. You know, there's definitely scripture that says, you know, do not test the Lord your God, which is in Matthew 4 and, and Deuteronomy. And so we, we, want, we, we, we shy away from that. But I think there is a line between testing God and asking God for confirmation. So as you're thinking about change and as you're thinking about, you know, what's next and thinking that maybe this is God leading, I, I, God has a heart for that, that spirit, that, that wanting to know and wanting to be in relation with him so much uh, that you can discern his voice. And sometimes that comes from practice. It obviously could come from signs of uh, wool on the floor, but it might come from, you know, Lord, I'm going to take a risk, you know, applying for this job, and I feel like you're leading me here, and you know, I really need confirmation, you know, that, that, you're, that this is your direction, because I know this is a long shot, and then something crazy happens, and, and you get the job. You know what I mean? And Because I think God can, can show us things through situations with people, through, through our lives, just like as we were talking about through nature. And so I know it sounds kind of weird and, and maybe a little uncomfortable, but, you know, if you're thinking about change and things like that, I just encourage you to ask God for confirmation. You know, take time to discern, you know, in, in different ways, but one of which just saying, God, I'm just not sure. Can, can you speak to me in this moment? 
or in some crazy way um, that makes sense. Uh, just personal example, the reason we got actually to DC um, was my, my wife, she graduated law school and she was applying for a bunch of jobs and we didn't know where we were gonna go. This was before I even thought about going to seminary and that's a totally different story. Um, but she's applying for a lot of jobs. We were in Virginia, Virginia Beach, and so she's applying for a lot of jobs locally because we wanted to stay there, we loved to do, it was super cool. But then she applied for a one job in DC that was like a, you know, a Hail Mary sort of you know, long shot and we were like, oh, we don't know what we should do. And I said, all right, God, well, if this is, you know, if, if this is where you want us to go, please just leave this door open and, and you know, make it really clear. And so, you know, the story kind of goes that she literally didn't get any of the other jobs and only got this one job. And so there was a really clear guiding in that. And lastly, uh, this is another sort of analogy. Um, Sometimes God doesn't call a timeout. And my wife said this was way too confusing, so I'll, hopefully it'll make sense. But I, I heard this awesome analogy about God's leading, and it's almost like a, like a basketball coach. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're in practice, you're training, and you're learning how to do certain things like layups and, and free throws and, and when, to, when to pass and when to, um, you know, when to block, when to do whatever. Um, and sometimes the coach in the middle of the game will call a timeout and say, you need to do this. This is the play. And oftentimes, there's no timeout, and you just got to go on the, the fundamentals and the training that you learned from the coach in that moment. And so I'm just going to read this last scripture and, and, and say one more thing. Uh, it's from Hebrews 12, and it's sort of about discipline or practice, uh, because that's really the way I, I see discipline and the way that it's sort of being alluded to here. You know, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Not many people like going to practice and running laps. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your dropping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. And basically, as, as sort of we, we leave um, this moment and, and, and this message, I just want to encourage you to utilize things like discipline and, and training as sort of this, this last point in making these changes and discerning really what's next. And some of them mentioned in Scripture are obviously reading Scripture and studying Scripture, being in prayer and, and meditation like we try to do pretty regularly. And one I would say would being in seeking either godly counsel or relationships. Um, and each one of those three things sort of complementing each other. And maybe you read something in scripture and you use prayer and, and sort of the relationships to discern through it. Or you heard something crazy in prayer and then you look to scripture to discern through it. And that type of discipline and, and understanding and practice will enable you to meet those changes in that moment and if God isn't saying, time out, this is what you got to do, be able to react in a way that's almost second nature and, and move forward into that you know, sort of promised land or, or promise or, or whatever um, that God's leading you to. I'm just going to close this in prayer in, in this and then uh, then I invite James to come back up. Dear Heavenly Father, I just... I just pray for each one of us who are in moments of change and, and, and seeking guidance and feeling like even the little thing in our life needs to be 
updated or, or going on a different direction. Maybe there's big things that we're discerning through or unsure of. Either way, Lord, as we, as we end this time and as we take communion and, and pray some more and, and reflect, I just invite you to bring to our minds even things that we haven't even thought about that you're leading us to. Maybe there are some walls that we've read about that are crumbling and you're calling us to go out and fix them. Maybe there's a promise that you've had on our lives that we've sort of not taken seriously or not wanting to sacrifice for, and maybe we need to. Or Lord, maybe there's things that we've messed up and didn't follow that we feel like because of that we can't follow you on this current thing. And so Lord, in all of those, I just pray for your spirit to minister to us, to give us strength, to give us guidance, to give us courage and excitement And in the situations where we're wondering, is this you? Allow us the freedom to ask for confirmation. Allow us the understanding that grace abounds and that you love us so much that like children, you'll teach us that lesson one more time. You'll you'll guide us with your hand and allow us to move into the identity and the calling that you're leading us to. Amen.